this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome to The Playlist Podcast, a weekly discussion of films and TV. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for this episode, I'm excited to share a recent interview that Mike, Brian, and myself conducted with filmmaker Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley is an acclaimed filmmaker that is preparing for the release of his latest film, In the Earth. Previously, he's the director behind incredible features such as Kill List, Sightseers, High Rise, and Free Fire. Most recently, before his new horror film, he debuted his Netflix feature, Rebecca. But the main discussion point in the interview is, in fact, In the Earth. In the Earth is his new horror film that he wrote and produced during lockdown last year. The film starts eerily similar to our new COVID life, with the world being torn apart due to a new virus. We follow a scientist arriving at a forest ranger camp where he's going to make an expedition into the woods to find out what happened to his colleague that was hoping to find a cure for the virus. Obviously, considering this is a horror film, things don't go according to plan. In the interview, we talked to Wheatley about the difficulty of getting In the Earth made during lockdown, why his horror filmmaking style is influenced by the likes of George Romero, what he expects to bring to his next film, The Meg 2, and finally, we talk about his quest to make a video game film and why it didn't work out with Tomb Raider 2. But before I throw it to the interview, I got to tell you that the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, so stick around and listen to Mike, Brian, and myself speak to Ben Wheatley about In the Earth, which arrives in theaters via Neon on April 16th. Enjoy. I'd like to start by welcoming Ben Wheatley, filmmaker extraordinaire to the Playlist Podcast to talk about his new film, In the Earth. Thank you. So before we get into the film too much, I think it's important to add context to In the Earth. This is a film that was made in secret for the large for a large part in the pandemic. And it's clear the story has like a COVID like virus that kind of serves as a jumping off point to get people into the woods. But it becomes obvious pretty early that this isn't a COVID movie and it's not your typical pandemic thriller by any stretch. So what was the genesis of this movie? Did you have a horror script laying around that you kind of retrofitted to fit this time? Or did you just like have this immediate inspiration? I, uh, the first week of the lockdown in the UK, I, I made a bit of a show of myself by losing my nerve quite badly in front of my wife and kid and was uh, like, have had an absolute fit of like, oh my God. <laughs> and I think so, we can all relate to that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was pretty bad. And they're going, you're, you're shouting, stop shouting. I'm like, oh. So I took myself off to my to my study and I thought I will look like I'm busy. So I started writing and I, and I kind of, I also had this weird thing of like, I felt like I didn't want to watch any movies at the beginning. I know lots of people just like took it as an opportunity to watch stuff. And I just felt, oh, I can't face it. But what I do want to do is I'll write stuff which I can watch, which I've always done, you know. So so I wrote this as a kind of, oh, let's see what happens. And kind of, so yeah, it was mainly to make me, to to for my own sanity, it started. 
Um, and then I wrote that one, put it in a drawer, wrote another one and wrote something else again. And then I started talking to Andy Stark, the producer, and we, we started cooking up a plan that we could actually make something. And he said, have you got anything? I'm like, I do. and got the got this one out and then started rewriting it and kind of getting it ready to make and we figured that basically the lockdown would end one day and when that day came then we would be the first out and we'd make a film before the rest of the big movies woke up while there was crew and cast and people kind of staggering into the light so that was the plan the opening minutes of this film you know really go step by step into the the sanitation process that again feels really familiar to what people have been doing, you know, during COVID with nasal tests and the hand sanitizer and all that. Did you ever worry that you might be hitting people with too much reality early on? Or was that like a necessary part of setting up this story? I think it's a weird thing. And I didn't even think about it until we were at Sundance and there started to be this kind of slight sniffiness about pandemic movies like the idea that you would make something that was contemporary, that that would be bad, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we kind of, I, I always, and the, and the last, most of the films I made have been contemporary set, you know, and, and use the, whatever the news is happening at the time is part of that. And that's something that I'd got from, you know, very early reading interviews with Romero and people like that, you know, and they say, well, you know, the horror is ref- reflects the period that you live in, blah, blah, blah. And then all the essays are always about that, you know? Even, you know, even if it's being done kind of automatically, like the 50s stuff is like, oh, it re- it's reflecting kind of uh, McCarthyism and whatever, you know. So it that that seemed to be the most natural thing to do is to make something about the moment because the basically the moment had destroyed all the other scripts I had. You know, it was like everything, nothing made any sense that was written before the pandemic because the, the pandemic is so massive and our experiences of it have to be reflected in whatever drama is happening going forward. Um, and I started watching movies on VOD and going, these feel like from another time. This is like, they're all historical, you know, and like even even down to watching Tenet and going, why are these people in this, sitting in this, watching this orchestra? They shouldn't be there. That was your big question in Tenet? <laughs> yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was, that Everything was else you're good with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why aren't they socially distancing? You know, what's going on? So, you know, I think that was the, that 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 was what inspired it you know it's just i want you know it's in the moment it's now um uh but the now moment is much bigger than it's ever been oddly so it becomes more of an issue you know so this movie there are a lot of like great little aspects of it and one of the things that i found most fascinating was that it takes on this idea of like the narrative being a human construct and it's almost at war with the idea of explanation itself. So when you're making a movie about that idea, like how do you then construct a narrative around that then persuade yourself not to explain things, you know, to, were you ever like uh, modern audiences love to be spoon fed here uh, and I'm not going to do it. We're like, how, it, how at war with yourself were you during the making of this? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it the film almost vibrates that, that breaks itself in that respect, you know, and it does it visually as well, you know, and that, but I was fascinated by that, like the idea of the story as technology and like that, and, and basically the only thing that sets us apart from, Every, every other creature is our ability to put ourselves into a story and then sell that story to other people as if it's a thing, it's a fact, 
it's a series of like random things strung together become facts all of a sudden um, and that had also come from ma having made like kind of films that deal with myth and and um folkloric tales but then getting this, this slight worry that maybe these things are being seen as real or, or that they're based on some kind of fact when they're all made up completely made up so there's that responsibility of the storyteller so that that that's where it kind of started to come you know i mean it's got more explaining in it than m most of the films i've made um but then some of it is so I think I, I started to enjoy the idea of exposition. I've always been really anti-exposition, but I quite like a bit of explaining now and again. And I certainly like a scene where people get a big book out and start explaining. I think that's, um, <laughs> that's the classic of the of, of the genre, you know. And I, I remember being a bit sniffy about it with um, uh, uh, what's it the what's the race with the devil one where they go and look up the um, they they look up witchcraft in a, in a library in a big book. And I was like, oh, that's that's terrible. But actually, I think that's quite good now. I think it should be more of that. More, more book exposition. There we go. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. So when I watched In the Earth, I was lucky enough to have a my sound system cranked up loud and a big screen TV in a pitch dark room. And I think to me, outside of a theater, this is kind of the you have to see it in that sort of setting. Honestly, by the end of this movie, I felt physically uneasy and disoriented by all the imagery that was on screen. And I know you're credited as the editor on this movie, so. When you're in the editing bay and you're putting together all this, you know, without spoiling anything, there's a lot of crazy imagery going on. Was it your intention to kind of physically disorient the audience and put them in the shoes of the characters? Basically, I want to know, why did you mess me up so bad? Yeah, totally. Yeah, of course. As I always, ask that but... at the end of a lot of your movies, by the way. That <laughs> fucked me up. Why? Why did that fuck me up? <laughs> well, I think for, for one of the things I was trying to do with it is like that they that they are journeying towards a, a conversation with a creature, but a creature that's so abstract that they can't, it doesn't make human sense, you know? And and how do you make the audience understand that and feel that? Though the stuff isn't random, obviously, that's shown. It, right. it, it, it's trying to create a narrative, like a, a, a sort of storytelling within it, that there's logic to every bit of scrap of imagery within it. But this thing is so forceful that it kind of, it, it almost destroys you watching it, you know? Um, and I felt my, yeah, I mean, in the edit suite, it was all right. But when we were doing the sound mix, it was just, oh, yeah, it was really strong. <laughs> we were like sitting there going, ah, oh, and you start to feel yourself slightly come apart at the edges, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it in the cinema and I haven't seen it with an audience. So I'm really excited about the release of it. You know, I want to finally see it. I, I, again, I saw it in my house and, and I was the only one there. And my wife gets home and, she comes down and is like, what are you watching? I was like, I can't talk about it right now. <laughs> you, you mentioned sound and I was really struck by the music in the film uh, compo composed by Clint Mansell. To me, it almost had some goblin vibes. You know, it brings to mind horror movies from decades ago. Can you tell me how the music came together and how you figure out the sounds you want in a film and in a film that includes sound and tone really as part of the narrative. Yeah, that was important that it was, that it was embedded heavily into the film. The film is about that, you know, effectively. And, and it's like, you know, that within cinema, there'd be a level of, you can have a score, which is just a kind of, um, for the audience to understand what the emotion is of the characters, or you can have like a, an underscore and that's sitting underneath, which is just, is a, 
sound that gets you through the scenes it just pushes you through or you have something like this where it's like it's music at you you know these are it's diegetic and non-diegetic at the same time um i was lucky on this uh, because of covid which is a weird thing but but because because everything had slowed right down i had a lot more time with clint and so we you know i was sending him drafts of the script early on and he was sending demos back almost immediately so um in the end when we got to shoot it we had a full soundtrack completed um and then uh and we were able to play that in to the scenes and the and the actors could hear it and also i i edit as i shoot as well so i was able to cut scenes that night with with the music in it and we'd all we all understood what we were kind of doing you know interesting that's interesting yeah. that he did the music beforehand. That's, you know, you don't see that super often. Usually there's like a temp, you know, track or something. So that's, yeah, there was no cool. temp in this. It was like a, you know, like Leone or something like that, you know, <laughs> wow. where the Morricone would do it beforehand. But it was, that was just a treat of the thing, you know. And then also the similar thing happened with the, with um, Nick Gillespie, the DOP. There was, a, we, we did a lot of testing, which we never would have had the time to do. You know, we had four months of testing, which is just madness for a film of this yeah. size. Um, <laughs> But Clint also did this thing where we got hold of a thing called a MIDI sprout, which is like a sensor that you could put onto a plant that reads um, bioelectric feedback. So he had that then plugged into the synthesizers. So a lot of the noises you're hearing, he's like duetting with um with a plant. <laughs> and as he's stroking the leaves, it's screaming kind of thing, you know. That's great. Wow. perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So based on your filmography, I think it's pretty fair to say that you have an interest in folklore in general and in the earth very much dives further into that subject as we've touched on earlier here so where did that fascination come from why does it keep kind of showing up in in some of your works i mean i think initially it was more like kill list and kill list was more about a kind of trying to understand a general britishness you know and a lot <laughs> of it comes from that and it comes from living somewhere where there's blood in the soil, you know, and like everywhere there's been battles and murders and whatnot. It's all just here, you know, and like even in my house where I'm at the moment, I could walk out of here and be on an Iron Age hill fort and stand there and think about all the people that lived there, you know, their whole culture, which we've no idea what it is and it's gone, you know, but they were people like us, you know. So it, I feel like it, it, it's trying to deal with the history but as a modern person being completely ignorant of it at the same time of going, I don't know anything. Oh, <laughs> I should, I should educate myself a bit and try and find out what my context is or, or even just in a family way of just going, Oh, we're, we're Catholics. Oh, but we're also Protestants. Oh, but we're also Jews. You know, it's like, it's, and we come from Scotland and Ireland and England and the Netherlands and Russia. So what the fuck? You know, it's <laughs> completely confused. So it, you know, so that was that was what it was. The folk side of it is like a kind of slight byproduct of that, you know, of trying to, and then that's the fight of like folk is made up often, not that old, you know. Some of it's Victorian, some of it's still hanging over from the seventies, but some of it, some of it is old. But when you're sifting through it and trying to find what 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 has meaning, and what doesn't, it's quite surprising sometimes. You go, oh, so this is just a misremembered thing from a kids' show. Oh, right. Okay. Or this is actually ancient, you know. Kind of speaking of your film filmography here, you really can't help but notice just like how eclectic it's become in recent years. And In the Earth is very firmly in the horror genre. But previous to that, you went from 
Free Fire, which is this action comedy, to Colin Burstead, which is a family dramedy, to Rebecca, which is this dark romantic thriller, Hitchcockian mystery. Like, do you plan on keeping audiences on their toes with every new film? Like, just dare them to paint you in any one film corner? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't think of the, you know, I don't think necessarily of the audience being something that follows my name from film to film necessarily, you know, that, but I think, I think of, you know, I'm, I love film. So I want to, I don't want to end up making the same thing again and again. And, and as a, as a rule of thumb, they're usually at 90 degrees somehow to the last thing so that they're different, but, um, or I'll just do something I like, you know, and just go, oh, I love, you know, I like Doctor Who. So I went and did some Doctor Who. It was brilliant. I was I was lucky like that, you know, and and or I wanted to make a horror film, so I did, you know. So it, 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 there's that side of it. I don't think it, it's it's hard to think too much about yourself in the context of cinema, you know, because you disappear up your ass quite quick, you know. But it's <laughs> kind of <laughs> it's more of it's more of not of, you know the fear of diminishing returns of making the same thing again and again and again because you could I could have just made kill lists. A series of kill lists, you know, you know, until I was locked up. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, with that in mind, obviously, one of your next big films is The Meg 2. And I can't lie, when I think of films like The Meg, I don't necessarily peg you into that hole. But still, mm. when I read it, I sit forward a little bit like, interesting. So here, you're announced as the director of Meg 2. What drew you to the project? And, and what do you hope to bring to the sequel that may not have been in the mix before? Um, I mean, what drew me to it was the Meg. I watched the Meg and I really liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone I talked to really likes the Meg. And the Meg is like, you know, you say the Meg and they go, oh, the Meg, you know. And it's like, I think it, I, and I wanted to do, you know, when it came across my desk, I was like, well, why wouldn't I do this? This is brilliant. And, but also it's like, it's the chance to do massive, massive action and to work with Statham. So it's like those two things together were enough. Um, so I've been five months storyboarding and planning and, you know, going like this with my eyes just to think bigger all the time. Think bigger, think bigger, you know. That's That's got to be an interesting concept to go from in the earth, which you're like, okay, how can we make this with all these restrictions to the Meg? How can I make this bigger, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's more, it's it's not excess it's more like how do, it's it's entertainment isn't it it's like the bigger the entertainment are you giving enough is this got enough entertainment crammed into it per sets of frames you know is there what's there um so yeah it's a different way of thinking but then it's still it's still the same stuff of like their their kind of structures of storytelling of lumps of storytelling of kind of um making sure that that, that it's balanced in terms of you know entertainment to um emotion to action you know and, and and you fight that battle a minute at a time basically so it's like a, really these movies are a series of short films very short films just strung together with very small objectives each time and and how that that kind of plays out across them other than the meg i know you were at a time attached to tomb raider 2 and that was until recently just curious kind of what your experience was there and also uh you you mentioned tackling video games as a difficulty for adapting to film, but you sounded like you kind of cracked the code, or at least you thought you cracked the code. So I'm curious what uh, what that's like now, having uh, now moved on from Tomb Raider. Yeah, Tomb Raider kind of got it ended up it got it was just going into production as the COVID hit, so it was just like 
and it was done. You know, there, there was no discernible chance of it of what when it was no you know the all bets were off basically and that and at that point it kind of ground to a halt and then the meg came along so i was like okay um but um yeah i mean uh, video games and and films are so intertwined aren't they it's like because they're because they're feed backwards and forwards in terms of their referencing it, it's tricky um and you and the things that you think are original about the movies are the, the film the games are from films often and so when you re when, when you take away the interactive element of it you suddenly there's not much left to it you know i still want to make a doom film though hey i know it's know. been done but come on i mean we can all forget that one even though it had the rock but <laughs> i think there's I, three I, of them now actually are there <laughs> I really they made, i think they made sequels to it yeah oh wow but, um, yeah or counter-strike that would be the one i'd like to make Ooh, yeah, I could see that too. So quickly before we, we have to say goodbye, is there any other secret projects you want to let us in on that you're working on? Scripts in your drawer? Always doing stuff, you know. And I mean, I've got, what have I got? I did a, I wrote a horror, a couple of other horror film things that we, we almost shot another one. We were going to do another one, but we ran out of time to do one before the Meg, which was a shame. Um, and I wrote a cowboy film that that's a that's more than a 90 degree shift i think <laughs> that would yeah, be like a 180 yeah but that's like it's based on um uh john barleycorn must die the song huh. wow well oh, i gotta go well, look that up okay so yeah, you, you've piqued our interest with the meg too we're all <laughs> i think safely on board for a counter-strike and or doom movie and now yeah. you've sold us on a, a western so well i just ruined my mdb page again you know it's already full of <laughs> nonsense i've said in interviews so it's kind of yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> confirmed you've heard it here first doom yeah. coming out <laughs> yeah but uh yeah so i want to wrap up and i want to thank ben wheatley for joining us to talk about in the earth uh it's been a, a great conversation thank you i'm just yeah, admiring and... your fine the robocop cushion oh yeah you like it oh, there it is <laughs> yeah robocop for life i even got the yeah, tattoo cool. oh whoa uh, yeah go. yeah yeah he goes RoboCop hard for guy. RoboCop. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost a sickness. But anyway, enough about me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And uh, everybody go see In the Earth when it arrives in theaters. And definitely see it in theaters safely. Yes, please. Thanks, Ben. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.